have you heard the story about the traveler and the monk? I didn't think so. I got to tell you. Okay, so it was a cold, bitter night. All right, and there was a traveler, and he was on a long journey, and at this particular stretch of the journey, he was on this long, remote road. And then as he was driving, he heard the most terrible sound he had ever heard. It was the sound of his engine dying. So he pulled over, he gets out of his car, and in the cold and the bitter and the wind, he gets out and he goes over and he pops the hood and he tries as best he can to fix his car, but it was of no use. He saw a light in the distance, so he just started walking toward the light, and eventually he made it there, and it turns out that the source of the light was a monastery. So he goes up to the monastery, he knocks on the door of the monastery, and an abbot answers, and the traveler explains his situation to him, and he said, could you please possibly just give me a warm meal and a, and a place to sleep for the night? And the abbot, he graciously invited the traveler in, and he prepared for him a delicious meal, and then he escorted it up, up to a room, and he showed him a bed where he could sleep for the night, and Traveler, as soon as he lay down, as soon as he put his head on the pillow, he fell fast asleep. He did not move a muscle until about 3.15 in the morning. And then about 3.15 in the morning, he was awoken by the most glorious, the most amazing, the most beautiful sound he had ever heard. And he sat just listening to that sound, just mesmerized by that sound for as long as it went on. And then when breakfast came, the traveler, he got up and he, and he goes downstairs and he sees the abbot and he says to the abbot, he says, that was the most amazing sound I'd ever heard in my life. Could you please tell me the source of the sound? And the abbot responded, he said, sir, I'd love to tell you the source of the sound, but the source of the sound is only for monks to know. And the, the traveler thought for a couple of moments, and he was just so taken by that sound, he just had to know what the source of the sound was. And so the traveler then said, well, then what must I do to become a monk? And the abbot said, well, you must answer these two questions. How many grains of sand are there and how many leaves? How many grains of sand are there and how many leaves? And the traveler, determined to become a monk and to find out the source of that sound, he embarked on a journey, a journey that would span the globe. And he went from beaches to forests to mountains all over. And after several years, he returned to the monastery and he knocked on the door. And the same abbot answered the door. And the traveler said to the abbot, abbot, I am ready to become a monk. And the abbot said, very well. You must answer my two questions. How many grains of sand are there and how many leaves? And the traveler responded, the creator is in constant communication with his creation. And therefore the creation is in constant flux. The creator is continually renewing the grains of sand, continually renewing the leaves. Creation is in constant flux. The number is forever changing. And the abbot looked at the traveler and he said, traveler, you have answered very well. And he made him a monk. 
The traveler at this time, a monk, he is so excited and he said, all right, well, Abbot, now you must tell me what was the source of that most amazing sound that I ever heard. And the abbot, abbot, he handed him a key and he pointed him to a gold door and he said, go take the key to the door and open it. And so the traveler did and he goes over to the door and he inserts the key and he opens the door and he walks through it and then he sees a silver door with the key already in it. And he walks to the silver door and he turns the key and he goes through the silver door. And then he sees another room and there in it is an old wooden door, like a barn kind of door. And he walks over to the old wooden door, this barn door, and he pushes it open. And then he walks in and he sees the source of this most amazing, this most beautiful, even seductive sound that he had ever heard. Ah. But the source of that sound is only for monks to know. <laughs> Go ahead, turn, me, turn with me in your Bibles to Habakkuk. I know that's not nice, is it? <laughs> Habakkuk is a pre-exilic prophet, okay? He really was. And what we mean by pre-exilic is that... At this time in history, the northern kingdom Israel, the southern kingdom Judah, they had separated. Habakkuk is writing from southern kingdom Judah. And he has an ancient dialogue with God, what is now an ancient dialogue. Go ahead, turn with me, Habakkuk chapter 1. It's a short prophecy. It's toward the end of the Old Testament. If you're having trouble navigating there, it's okay. It's right between Nahum and Zephaniah. Um, and we don't know a whole lot about the prophet Habakkuk, okay? He's what we call a flat character. We don't have a whole lot of details of his life. We don't really know who he is, what he did, anything like that. All we really have is his voice, and his voice speaks to us and has spoken to the uh, community of faith throughout the centuries. This dialogue that this prophet has with God is of much greater significance than the number of grains of sand or the number of leaves, Habakkuk is going to have a conversation with God concerning evil and the very character of God. We're wrapping up our Straight Talk series where we've just examined big questions of the faith, foundational questions, how we should think about creation, the world, how we should think about people, how we should think about God. And this morning we're wrapping things up by examining the question, how should I think about evil? That's the same kind of question that Habakkuk is wrestling with, with God. So let's go ahead and enter this ancient dialogue beginning in Habakkuk chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. The prophet, asking God, writes, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear, or cry to you violence and you will not save. Why do you make me look upon iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted." This may not be the type of conversation starter that you would expect a prophet to have with God. 
I mean, the the parallelism in the Hebrew, it just kind of jumps off the page. It highlights the prophet's burden. There's no exclamation points in Hebrew scriptures, okay? But in this structure, the structure here of Habakkuk's writing, it implies them on nearly every line. I mean, to explain the burden of this prophet, though, for you to be able to see through his eyes, to feel his pain, to understand the evil that was confronting this prophet— I need to set the historical scene for you just a little bit. In order to do that, i got to go back about 100 years and give you a brief history of the kingdom of Israel. Okay, so to do that, the, the Assyrians were an evil people, right? And the Assyrians, they come into the northern kingdom, Israel, and they conquer it. They take it over, and they were threatening then to go into southern kingdom, Judah, and to take over Judah as well. But Judah had a faithful leader. Judah was led by a faithful leader, Hezekiah. And even when it looked bleak, when it looked desperate, when it looked like the Assyrians were sure going to win, God honored the faithfulness of Hezekiah and preserved the southern kingdom, Judah. But now, a hundred years later, the southern kingdom, Judah, is now led by an evil king named Jehoiakim. Okay, Jehoiakim was evil. To give you just an idea about the evil of Jehoiakim, you should know that he desired to live in just this grand palace, okay? And so what he did is he just made the people of Judah build the palace for him. He didn't pay them anything. It was just slave labor, making them build this and then doing nothing for them. He, uh, he built these alliances with the Egyptians, And he would then tax his people heavily and then just send those taxes on to the Egyptians, in a sense just paying a ransom so that Egypt would leave them alone. Well, during this time, Babylon had asserted her independence from Assyria, and so Babylon was the new great leader of the day. And Babylon then later conquered Egypt. And so what Jehoiakim did is he just switched his allegiances. All those taxes and bribes that were going to Egypt, he just started paying those to Babylon so that Babylon would leave them alone for a time. And it gets worse than that. Jehoiakim, he would go into the temple, he would bring artifacts out of the temple, and he would just give them to the Babylonians. He gave members of the royal family over to the Babylonians as hostages there was an evil leader before Jehoiakim, several, uh, several kings earlier, named Manasseh. And Manasseh, what Manasseh did is he really started all of this evil in Judah. It was an evil that would be reformed by Jeho- uh, Josiah, but Jehoiakim would reinstitute it all. And this evil that Jehoiakim reinstituted was uh, cult sacrifices, human sacrifices, idols set up throughout the land of Judah. This was supposed to be God's holy people, his chosen people, his set-apart people. But these people in Judah now looked nothing like the people of God who they were supposed to be. And it was during this reign of this evil leader Jehoiakim, with this background, that the prophet Habakkuk has this conversation with God. And due to the poor leadership of Judah, the people were disillusioned. It it was a time of lawlessness. It was a time of faithlessness. The country looked nothing like the people they were supposed to be. 
And Habakkuk, he couldn't stand it any longer. And so he's writing. He sees that evil is present and everything is not okay. He sees evil is present and everything is not okay. And so he cries out to God with this complaint, this heartbroken prophet, desperate for his people. He's crying out and he's saying, how long, God? How long are you going to let evil just go unpunished? How long are you going to allow treacherous people to get ahead? How long are you going to allow justice to be perverted in your land? How long are you going to let evil just be okay? How long are you going to sit idly by, God? How long? See, Habakkuk, he's got no court to take his appeal to. All the courts, they're all corrupt. There's no justice in this land, this this land that God has set apart for his people. It's now overcome with strife and conflict and lawlessness. The Israelites, who they built false gods. These false gods, they were silent. They, They were blind. And now Habakkuk is crying out to God saying, God, can't you see? When will you speak? Evil is present, God, and everything is not okay. See, Habakkuk sees it. He he understands it. What's happening to his people, to this land, it affects Habakkuk to his core. And he's begging God, show up. God responds. Let's keep reading, verses 5 through 11. God says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe even if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. I want you to notice something. God doesn't disagree with Habakkuk's assessment of Judah. You notice that God actually agrees with Habakkuk's indictment against God's chosen people. He agrees that violence prevails, that strife, contention, perversion of justice, that all this permeates the land. God agrees. God does not rebuke Habakkuk for his assessment. He agrees evil is present and everything is not okay. God does see. God does hear. But God's response to that evil is totally unexpected. Habakkuk, he he didn't see this coming. God responds and says, it's not me who doesn't see. It's you. 
you don't see what I'm up to. You don't see what I'm doing because I am continually working. I am constantly involved with my creation. And right now, I am raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, and they're going to bring forth justice to Judah. God says, yeah, I know. They're, they're a bitter and impetuous nation. They have a fierce army. They, they, they gather captives like sand. They come with violence. They're, they're going to come and they're going to bring this awesome judgment. I know about the Babylonians. I know they're evil. I mean, you see Babylon. You see their strength is their God. God knows this. God understands evil is present and everything is not okay. And as you might imagine, this response that God gives to Habakkuk, it doesn't really sit too well with Habakkuk. Habakkuk's having trouble making sense of this. It, it doesn't compute. So Habakkuk complains again to God. Let's keep reading. Habakkuk 1, 12 through chapter 2 and verse 1. Are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. reproof? You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on that tower and look to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. See, the thought of God raising up the Babylonians, it, it just doesn't make sense to Habakkuk. He, he can't seem to make sense of this. I mean, the prophet is almost asking, why did I even bring up this question in the first place if this was going to be your answer, God? He, he can't reconcile this. He's saying, this is not the God I know. This, God, is, aren't you too pure to look on evil? To be a part of evil, to condone evil, this doesn't fit with your character, God. You're telling me that you're going to use the evil Babylonians? I mean, that just can't be. You're using people more wicked than we are to judge us? That doesn't make sense. You see, the Babylonians, they were unbelievably wicked. Judah was bad, yes, but they don't hold a candle to the Babylonians. I mean, the Babylonians, they delighted in cruelty. They, they looted entire cities. They separated families. They pitted sons against their homeland. They murdered people for sport. 
They worshiped false gods. These were the kind of people, they couldn't go to bed at night until they did something evil that day. And Habakkuk is putting Babylon and Judah on the scales of morality, and he's saying, God, we're better than them. How are you going to use them to judge us? I can't square that with your holiness. I can't square that with your justice. I can't square that with your love and your mercy. If everything is supposed to, if, if everything, every nation is supposed to get what it deserves, then you can judge us, but how are you going to use the Babylonians to do it? That they need judgment even more than we do. Evil is present, and everything is not okay. But you see, the truth is, from the very beginning, almost from the very beginning, evil has been present, and it's never been okay. You go back to Adam and Eve in the garden, and they wanted to be like God. And so pride wells up, and they eat the fruit. Then you have Cain, and he murders his brother Abel. And then you have the whole line of evil that comes through Cain as a result of that. Even the good guys in the Bible, we read about Noah and Abraham and Moses and David, and we see the evil that they indulged in. Evil is present, and it's never been okay. We see it today. And we might ask the same question, God, where are you? Are you silent up there? Do you not see? Are you not aware, God? When are you going to speak? When are you going to do something? Sometimes we can get out the scales of justice and say, they are worse than I am. How come it seems as if they're getting ahead and I'm being judged or persecuted? We look at a God who used the Babylonians to judge Judah, a God who caused a worldwide flood that knocked out all of the human race save one family. We looked at a God who ordered the Israelites to march into Canaan and wipe out the whole land, including women and children. And we can say, God, why do you work like that? That seems evil. Evil is present, and from the very beginning, it's never been okay. Evil is present today, and it's not okay. I don't need to convince you of any of this. We know that evil is present today, and it's not okay. It bothers us. I mean, we live in a world with terrorists and extremists. We live in a country whose entertainment is drugged by pornography. We, we know all too well of murder and rape and all kinds of things that we'd rather not even talk about. We know that evil is present and everything is not okay today. Habakkuk's ancient dialogue, it begins to fit right at home in our postmodern world. Because I've had conversations with people, maybe you've had conversations with people who can't seem to reconcile a good, loving God in a worldwide flood. Who can't seem to figure out how a loving God would commission Israelites to wipe out an entire people. Who, who can't seem to compute and who asks the question, I don't know how a loving, good, caring God would permit the injustice, the evil that exists in our world today. If God is so omnipotent, where is he? When will he speak? Does he see? Does he care? 
See, maybe you know people who are wrestling with the faith or who have left the faith. Maybe you are wrestling with questions like these too, just like this prophet Habakkuk. Maybe you look and you ask the question, what kind of God would? Or how can the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, they seem like different gods sometimes. Are they really the same? God, how can God stay silent when evil is present? And then how could he commission evil to judge evil? This doesn't make sense. Richard Dawkins, a noted atheist, he came to his own conclusion about God. In his book, The God Delusion, he wrote this. The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it. A petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak. A vindictive, bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser. A misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. That is a mouthful of blasphemy. And in a culture who champions individualism and freedom and tolerance, we, the church, if you want to be chair three and chair four disciples, if you want to go and share Jesus and impact people, then you must be prepared to have these conversations. Because these are the questions people are asking. These are the questions people are wrestling with and thinking through, and sometimes God doesn't compute to them just like he didn't compute to Habakkuk. I mean, we see a prophet here struggling with the character of God and how he looks and responds to evil. It's a tough answer, but there is a response to be given because not only does God see and know and is aware of the evil of Judah? Not only is God, did God see and know and was aware of the evil of the Babylonians, does not only God see and know and is aware of the evil in Noah's day and the evil in Canaan's day, not only does God see and know and is aware of the evil of our day, God sees and knows and cares far more than you and I ever will. See, understand this, Paul has to remind the church in Romans, hate what is evil. Because we don't always do that, do we? See, we'll turn on the TV and we'll just invite evil right into our living room. We'll go up to a friend and we'll say, give us the latest gossip. Tell me what's going on with those people. I want all the gory details. Oh, a little white lie, that won't hurt anything. It's okay. Pride, you got to have some pride in order to get ahead. Sometimes you got to step on the small ones to get ahead. It's okay. See, we can justify evil. We can placate evil. Oh, it's just a little evil. Perhaps it is not God who is blinded by evil, silent to evil, complacent to evil. Perhaps it's you and me. See, God knows all too well that evil is present and everything is not okay. We try to convince ourselves that evil is present, but it's okay. It's not too bad. See, this is why Judah needed to be judged to wake them up. 
It's why the worldwide flood. Do you know that Genesis said that the people at that time, the people of Noah's day, that they were so wicked that due to their violence, they ruined the earth. God's creation, they trashed it. They stained it with blood due to their violence. A sinless, perfect creator God stands over a sinful, evil creation and with perfect righteousness and justice and with all authority and holiness, he pronounces judgment and it is good. These people who were in utter rebellion against their creator received judgment. See, God understood the sin in Canaan. Canaan was so evil. The sexual abominations that were taking place there were so disgusting and graphic that I'm not even going to mention them, so bad that the Bible says that the earth was literally vomiting her up. And so he gave Israel the orders to wipe out all of Canaan, orders that would not be completely obeyed. Sometimes we have questions, God, why do you choose to work like that? Because we don't understand. And we can ask questions like, God, it seems like you've given all this power to the Canaanites. How powerful are those Canaanites? How powerful were those Babylonians? They sure seem powerful. How powerful are the terrorists and the extremists of our day? God, how powerful is Satan? How powerful is evil? The answer is not one bit more powerful than God allows them to be. Could it be that perhaps when evil seems most present, could it be that in that moment in history, When God seemed most silent, the least present, could it be that that moment was at the cross? When his son was unjustly hanging there, naked, beaten, humiliated, spat upon, whipped, mocked, and in utter darkness, God the Son cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yet not my will, but your will. You see, sometimes when God appears most absent, he is most gloriously present, working in ways that we may not see or understand. See, we do not serve an absent God who just sees evil, or some emotive God who just kind of sympathizes with our plot, but is ultimately unable to do anything about it. We serve a just God, a holy God, a loving God, a a caring God, a God who hates evil, but has done something about it. See, God, he would respond to Habakkuk again. And when he responds, he's going to outline the sin, the evil of Judah. And then he's going to go and he's going to outline the evil of Babylon. And then God will make this statement to Habakkuk, a statement that's repeated several times in the New Testament. And the statement is this, the person of faith shall live, or the righteous will live by faith. 
See, even in a country, in a nation of evil, even in a place of utter evil, a person can look to God and have their evil extinguished and then live by faith. Even as mighty empires rise and fall, the righteous will live by faith. Not by explanation, not by a blind faith. We are given general revelation. We are given specific revelation. We have an informed faith, but the righteous will live by faith. No matter how evil any society ever gets, this ancient dialogue now to our postmodern world tells us that our God is in complete control and his work of redemption will never fail. You go back and you look at the flood. Okay, just think of the flood again with me. And in the midst of all the evil, a humanity who had ruined the earth, God saw the faith of a sinful man named Noah and he saved him and his family. You would go back to Canaan and how her abominations caused the earth to vomit her up, and yet God was patient with her destruction. The Bible says that God did not allow her destruction until the full measure of her evil came in. And then as Canaan was captured, God saw the faith of that prophet Rahab, and he saved her and her family. You go back and you look at Judah and this nation that was supposed to be a people set apart from God and now it turned away from God. And you look at that evil king Manasseh, one of the most evil kings, if not the most evil king that Judah ever had. At the end of Manasseh's life, he was captured. He was taken by the Assyrians. And as he's captured there, he had led a whole people astray. And then he cries out to God asking for forgiveness. And God extends his grace to Manasseh king who had led a whole nation astray. See, the judgment of God may be tough for us to understand, may be difficult sometimes for us to comprehend, especially when these scenes are just kind of ripped out of their context and presented to us and asked the question, hey God, how, why would God do this? Why would God respond this way? But when we see them in light of the whole, things begin to get a little clearer. You see, we see this when reading Habakkuk, you know. Habakkuk, he always asks the questions concerning the present. He's always talking concerning the present. Whenever God responds, he's always responding concerning the future. See, God sees the bigger picture. He's more aware. He knows more than we do. He is in control. He sees a humanity who has ruined the earth, a humanity who is... Righteousness is his filthy rags, a humanity who just loves to bust out the scales of morality and say, which is better? A humanity who is made in the image of God but has marred that image. He sees a humanity like the people on Palm Sunday who welcomed Jesus in with palm branches and singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But then on Friday of that same week, many of those same people were chanting, crucify him, crucify him. How can that be? We'll come back to our Good Friday service this Friday at 6 o'clock. We'll talk about that a little more. But he sees a humanity who is inconsistent. And amazingly, God does not continually offer up his judgment, but his son. 
This is a difficult dialogue to have in our world. It's a difficult conversation to have in our culture because our culture doesn't want to hear that evil is present and everything is not okay. Our culture doesn't want to hear that that we at our core are desperately flawed people, desperately evil people, that there's nothing we can do to get out of the hole that we've dug ourselves. Humanity doesn't want to hear that God is the one who is holy, that we were lost and God found us. God wasn't lost. We, he didn't need us to find him. Evil is present, and everything is not okay. But those who question how a good God and how evil can coexist, I want you to consider this. The sound that that traveler heard, it actually wasn't just for monks to know. That was not nice of me to say. The sound that the traveler heard was, as Habakkuk would say, as the prophet would say, only for the righteous who live by faith to know. The sound that the traveler heard was that seventh angel in Revelation doing a little trumpet practice. Because the day will come when Jesus will return, not as a baby in a manger, but as a victorious warrior making a war that will end all wars. And it really won't be much of a war. He'll just speak a word and then it's all over, okay? It's not much of a war. But that day will come when he will judge sin and he will rid the world of sin and death permanently. And then there will be this singing, and according to Revelation eleven fifteen, that the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. You see, evil is present, and everything is not okay, but it will be. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we look around a fallen world and we can't always make sense of everything, things seem confusing to us sometimes, that sometimes it appears that the wicked are get ahead and Those who we think are righteous are being judged. God, we take comfort in the fact that you do see, that you are aware, that even your prophet Habakkuk, that as he began his prophecy with how long, God, he in effect ended his prophecy with however long, God, I will trust you. And that's what we want to do too. We want to trust you. And God, as you now continue to wait for the full measure of the sin of this earth to come in, you have commissioned us to go and to share your son, to share the good news of Jesus Christ, and to impact people, to disciple them for your glory. So God, may we be found faithful. We ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the grace of your son, Jesus Christ, whom we love. Amen.